Amen. It is good to be back with you again this morning as Craig is uh, taking some well-deserved time off or uh, some family vacation during fall break. And so I'm uh, grateful to be able to be back with you. If this is your first time visiting with uh, uh, Nicholasville Baptist, I want to just uh, to, uh, let you know that I am not Craig, obviously. Um, and uh, uh, we, are, we are definitely two different people. We're both short. Um, but that's about all maybe that we have in common. Uh, maybe we like to work out too, but uh, uh, I'm so grateful that, that he has entrusted me to come to speak God's word to you all this morning. It is a truly a blessing. The pulpits within our churches are sacred places because it is where God's word is declared. And so I am always honored to be able to stand in the pulpit of our local churches. I do work for the Central Kentucky Network of Baptist and uh, along uh, there with David Stokes. And so if you don't know us, I encourage you to get to know us. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. When I was with you last time, we were in Ephesians chapter 4, and I was going to go to a different part of Ephesians when I came back. But as I uh, began to prepare for this week, I felt like picking right back up where we left off. Uh, and so we're in Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be in verse 17, and we're going to go through the end of the chapter there in verse 32. And so let me read for you from God's holy word this morning. It says, therefore, I say, or I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus to take off your former way of life to the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of the truth. Therefore, putting away lying, speaking the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. Let the thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we thank you for this word that you have preserved for us through the generations, Lord, that you have given to us so that we may live lives that glorify and honor you. Lord, as we go through this time this morning, we pray that you help to open our hearts and open our minds to receive the truth that is proclaimed within your scriptures so that we can become more like you, molded into your image. And it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. 
If you remember last time I was with you, we talked about what happened, right? We talked about hearing the therefores and all the things that were going on in the previous chapters and, and to review very quickly to go back. when If we look at Ephesians chapter one, we saw there that there, the gospel message, right? The good news that God saved us and it is through Jesus Christ that we are adopted into his family by the blood of Jesus, that we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is where Paul starts his letter to the Ephesians and then he moves there in chapter two onto the next thing of being dead in our trespasses and sins, right? That we previously walked uh, in this death, in, these, in, in our trespasses, but now we're brought out of death into life. That we were formerly without hope, that, that we were without the hope, but because of what Christ had done, we are now people who have hope because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, he moved from chapter two there into chapter three that it was because of the, since we were dead in our trespasses and sins, now in chapter three, that salvation was not just for some. It wasn't just for the Jews, but it was also for the Gentiles that Christ came and died. And so that we have all boldness and confidence and access to God through Christ, no matter who we are. And then together, last time, we talked about there in chapter four in the first 17 verses that we are to walk worthy of the calling that's on our life. That we are to display to the rest of the world the spiritual unity, the diversity and the maturity that God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ. And the world needs to see the church we're called to be. Today, as we get into this portion of scripture, I want us to stop, stop for a moment and think about some of the arguments or at least one of the arguments that the world has today against Christianity and against, and one of the arguments that they levy today is that, that God is a God of love and that he loves me just the way that I am. And so therefore, who are you to tell me how I am to live my life? They step back and they say, don't judge lest you be judged, right? They start throwing out all kinds of passages to us and they say, I am just fine the way I am. You live your life, I'll live my life and we'll be just fine. I, I stopped back and as I was thinking, it reminds me of the John, Bo, uh, John, Bovey, ha, John Bon Jovi song. Y'all know the song? You singing it yet? I promise I'm not gonna take your job, all right? If y'all hear me sing this, it's not right. It's my life, it's now or never, but I ain't gonna live forever, right? Then he keeps on going, he says, I just wanna live while I'm alive. It's my life. My heart is like an open highway. I, like Frankie said, I did it my way. I just wanna live while I'm alive. It's my life. And that's what they look at us. And that's what they say. They want to live however they want to live. And they believe and they argue that God is a God of love and he loves them just the way they are. And they don't have to change anything. And who are you to judge me as to how I live my life? However, we understand as Christians that what they think and what they believe is a pro an improper understanding or an incomplete knowledge of God in that, yes, we do believe that God loves you just where you are. 
He loved you just in the place that you are, that he died for you, even though you were an enemy of him so that you could have forgiveness of sins, but that he does not love you just to leave you where you're at. He loves you so that he can transform your life and he never expects you to stay the same from where he met you. He expects you to no longer live like you used to, but to take off your former way of life. The old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self. The one who is created according to God's likeness in righteousness and in the purity of truth. You know, earlier this summer, I was fortunate to be able to go down to New Orleans for the Southern Baptist Convention. And while I was down there, I got to hear Dr. Jamie Dews. He's the president of the New Orleans Theological Seminary. And it was like the third or fourth time I was able to hear uh, Dr. Dews uh, be able to, to speak. And, and I've heard them say this before, that, that today the objection to Christianity has changed. He says, the objection we used to face on a regular basis is that there is no evidence for your faith. He says that people would look at us and say, you are an ignorant people believing in myths and fairy tales that cannot be proven. You cannot prove creation. You cannot prove that Jesus was raised from the dead. You cannot prove miracles, that all the miracles that we find in the Bible. And since there is no proof of your belief, then there is no reason to believe. And he said, that used to be the argument that was levied against us. But that argument has now changed. It is no longer that we are an ignorant people. It is now that we are bad people for what we believe. We have seen this cultural shift from, that, from, from ignorance to bad, that we are bad for believing. And how dare you tell me how I should live my life? And so when we as Christians to be, begin to live like we're called to live, our culture becomes enraged and we are no longer ignorant people, but we're bad people. And so in one sense, they are right that God is a God of love and he does love them where that he will meet you in your darkest hour. He will meet you in the darkest times of your life. He will come and meet you exactly where you're at, but he will not allow you to stay in that place. So this morning, as we look at this text, the big idea I want you to understand is because you are growing and maturing in your faith in Christ, you are no longer to live like you're used to or like the rest of the world, but you are to live according to God's righteous standards. Because here's the truth. No matter how loud you sing it, no longer how much you want to believe it, when you put your faith and trust in Christ Jesus, your life is no longer your own. It is his. So what we see first from the text here, our first point is do not live like you used to. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thoughts, Paul says. If you go back and you look at that word futility, it it means the, the quality of having no useful results, uselessness, the lack of importance or purpose, frivolousness. 
lack of effectiveness or success, the lack of purpose or meaning. Paul says the old way that you used to live before you came to know Christ is futile. There's no useful result that will come from your life from that way of living. The way that way of living cannot bring peace between you and God. It cannot even bring happiness or joy. It can't bring you true freedom in Christ. See, that old way of living does nothing but bring slavery to sin. And for you to continue to living like you used to, used to is futile. what you were searching for in that old way of life. Peace, happiness, contentment, joy, satisfaction. When you are searching for those things in the things of this world, doing the things that you want for your own reasons or your own benefit has the exact opposite effect in your life than you thought it was going to have. It doesn't bring you peace, joy, happiness, comfort, or freedom because you're living for the wrong reasons. And Paul says here in verse 19, he says, you, he says they, they became callous and they gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. He says it never satisfies. It never satisfies. When you chase the things of this world, you will have a desire for more and more and more and more. You know, I, I've been listening to the, I, I, I love listening to the radio. I listen to a lot of things, listen to podcasts. I particularly enjoy listening uh, to Kentucky Sports Radio. I, I, I find it very entertaining. And, and right now there, you know, most people know legalized betting has come within the state of Kentucky and, and, uh, and, and do with that with what you will. But, but here's what I want to point out something real quick. They keep talking about all these, these bets that you can make. Guaranteed money. Guaranteed. If, if somebody scores a touchdown, you bet $50, you're going you're gonna to win another $50. It's free money. If somebody scores a point, you're going to get $50 and you're going to get free money. If you bet $5, you're going to get $200. It's free money. And see, here's the thing. Here's the things the casinos understand about this. They know that there is a continual desire and lust for more and more inside of you. And so if you can even feel that experience, if they can just even give you $50 by letting you bet on a touchdown or a point, they'll know that you'll want to do it again. And that carnal desire inside of you will do more and more and more. And next thing you know, there's a reason why they put at the end of their ads. If there's a gambling problem, call 1-800. They're not dummies. They want you to be connected. They want you to feel that rush. They want you to think that you're finding joy and happiness. And they want you to feel that carnal desire of lust for more and more. But what we see here is, is Paul says they become callous. They become hardened. They became tough on the outside and they no longer cared for what is right. And so they desired for more and more of the things of this world. Sounds a lot like the Old Testament when we hear that everyone did what was right in his own sight. Instead of living in the light. Remember what Jesus said. What did Jesus say? He said, I am the light of life. 
And so the people, instead of living in the light, they retreated into darkness. John chapter three, verse 19 says, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And so in verse 18 here in Ephesians, Paul says that since they love the darkness more than the light, they are excluded. Pay attention to this. All right, this is a huge warning that you don't need to skip over. Because they love the darkness more than light, they are excluded from the life that is found in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, if you want life, it is in me and, and it is me in me where you will find it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is what Paul says here in verse 20, but that is not how you came to know Christ. Assuming that you heard about him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Here in this portion of the text, there in verse 20, Paul talks about this, some sort of Christian education, if you will. That one that, that you get when you receive Christ, right? When you come to faith in Jesus Christ. Some, some translations read, this is not how you learned Christ. Assuming that you heard and were taught by him. Now, this isn't some sort of formal education. It is, it is not just that you come to church on Sunday morning and that you come to a, 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 a Sunday school class or that you attend a Christian school or a Christian seminary. This, this is more than, than just a formal education. We are called to teach and make disciples. But it's not just an informational change or exchange. Right? This is a transformational education. When we are called, right, when one, the one who has encountered Christ cannot and will not ever be the same again. They're not going to want to live for themselves. They're not going to want to go after their own desires. But they will want to live for Christ because the old life has passed away and a new life has begun. So let me ask you this morning, what, what have you... What do you know about Christ? Have you really come to know him? Or have you really encountered Christ? Because if you've not encountered Christ, you cannot live this new life that we are about to look at, look like. See, life begins with conversion. One commentator I, I read on this subject said, said Christianity is not about moral rule keeping, religious attendance, having warm feelings at a religious event, merely believing in a God, doing good things, or even knowing the facts about Christ. It is about knowing Christ. Jesus said this in John 17. He said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and that the one that you have sent it is Christ Jesus. See, church, here's a thing that we sometimes forget and we forget to, to uh, that we just seem to, to pass over. We seem to think that, that we, if we know all the facts about Christ, if we know that he died on a cross, we know that he was buried in a tomb, <coughs> if we know that he was raised after three days, that somehow that this, this religious knowledge makes us a Christian. But here's the thing, you can know all the facts about Jesus Christ, you can know everything that's written in the Bible, and you can still be lost as a gospel in high weeds. You just are. 
right? The devil knows more facts about Jesus than you will ever know. You, you realize that? He knows more facts about Jesus than you will ever know. The demons know more facts about Jesus. They actually proclaim him as the son of God. But it's not the fact, mere knowledge that they know that he is the son of God. It's whether or not they believe or trust in him. And they don't. And so we do not need to think that just our mere education or mere understanding of the scriptures is what it takes to have uh, salvation through Christ Jesus. It's not about religious rule keeping. It's not a... It's not about making sure that you're at church on Sunday mornings and Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and you're giving a tithe and you're doing all these things, right? We don't do these things so that we can be saved. We do these things because we are saved. We do these things because of the relationship that we have with Christ Jesus. Why do I come to church on Sunday morning? Because of the relationship I have with Christ Jesus. Why do I go to church when I go on vacation? Because of the relationship that I have with Jesus. Why do I give my tithes and offerings? Because of the relationship I have with Jesus. Not so that I can have a relationship. And so when we have a relationship, when we come to faith in Christ Jesus, Paul reminds us that we are a new creation. Take off, verse 22, take off your former way of life, the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and the purity of the truth. Church, when we have come to know Christ, we are new creations. We, are, we have minds that are being renewed. And because of this change, we are empowered. We are empowered, do you see that? To live out the life that Christ has called us to. All right, we, we, we have a new identity every single day when we walk up or when we wake up. Paul says we need new hearts. We need new desires. We need new minds. And because of this, we need a new power. We were once enslaved to the powers of this world. Now we are enslaved to the power of Christ. A new power can only be given to us by God through Jesus. So what Paul does here in this last section of chapter four is he tells us how to live out this life. He says, because you are in because you have encountered Christ, because you have been taught, because the truth is in him, therefore, right? Here's the, here again, that transition. Therefore, because of all these things, live like you have been called to. You've been called to live a new life. Pastor and author Tony Morita says this about um, this passage. He says, there's three things we need to keep in mind about this section of Ephesians. He says, first, that these exhortations are relational. Our new union with Christ should change the way we live in community. Community, take that in two ways. It should change in how we live together in community as a community of believers that gather. And it means that we live differently in the community. Second, Tony says this, he says, notice the negative is, trans, is stated first, followed by the positive, and this is important. Holiness is not just about saying no to sin, but it is also about saying yes to God. 
we must not just throw off our dirty clothes, but we must put new ones on too. You got to put the new clothes on too. See, if you just throw off the, the old clothes, if you just throw off the old way of life and you don't put on Christ, what you've done is you've just thrown off one set of standards for another state. And all you're doing is, is, is morality teaching or virtue signaling. Right? It's, if you just throw off the old life, say, I'm just not going to live that way anymore. You're, and, and you don't have a reason for living that way. You're just being moralistic. And so we got to put on Christ. And then third, he says this, and I, I probably think this is the most important thing Tony says here. He says, notice there's a theological reason given for why we should throw off these sinful vices and put on these Christian actions. For example, Paul does not simply say, put away lying, but he relates it to the doctrine of the church. He says, put away lying because we are members of one another. And he doesn't stop with, with this exhortation, he, uh, be angry and do not sin. He relates it to belief in the devil. He commands the church to no longer steal and, and then follows it by, by speaking of honest work, stewardship, and care for the poor. When talking about unhealthy speech, he relates it to the grieving of the Holy Spirit regarding forgiveness. He takes us to the cross and God's amazing forgiveness. He says, do you, right? He says, do you see this? Our practice and our theology are tied together. Church, do you understand that? Your practice and your theology is tied together. What you believe is tied out to how you live out your life. If you want to know what you believe, look at how you live. Do you live like Christ really has forgiven you? Do you really believe that you are called to care for the poor? Do you really believe that you are called to live a certain way by Christ? Because if you are, then you're going to live different than the rest of the world because Christ will not leave you where you were at. He will change your life. And so Christians should not just only live differently from unbelievers. They should live differently for different reasons. We live differently for different reasons. Let, let me give you an example I used with an, another group. I don't think I've used this example here. Maybe I have. If I have, great. Maybe you've forgotten it and you'll just not pay attention. So I, I got to go to China for my youngest son to adopt. And got to visit a Buddhist temple while I was there. And you know, let me just tell you, we went on a Sunday. Guess what was happening on a Sunday in a Buddhist temple? Service. There were people gathered in a room with a man standing up front giving lectures about what the Buddhist religion teaches. There were people that were going by collection boxes and they were putting money in the collection boxes. And they were going by idols and they were literally taking money and throwing them at the idols. Now, you think, what? It doesn't look a whole lot different than what we do other than maybe throwing money at idols. They were putting money in plates. They were putting money in boxes. They were giving gifts to, to, to their God. And I said, what difference does that look like when it comes to us? 
So they were giving these gifts so that their God would bless them. They were giving these gifts so that they would have good luck and good fortune and that God would take care of them and that, that they would receive a, a blessing back. Look, if we come to church and we give offerings in these boxes or in the plates or online just so that we can get it back, if that's what we're trying to do, let me just tell you, we're no different than any other religion in the rest of the world. We don't give our tithes and our offerings so that God can bless us back. God, I'm going to give you 10 because so, I know you're going to put a honey in my hand. <laughs> right? I mean, we see it all the time. We see it in the prosperity gospel. We see people always trying to, God, I'm going to give to you and I'm going to go and serve so that, so that you'll bless my life and my life will be easier. God never promised us an easier life. Are you okay with giving your tithes, your offerings, and your times and still suffering? See, you need to have a theology of suffering, of understanding that whatever God puts you through, no matter whatever the reason is, that it's going to be okay because he's God and he's in control and his plan is better than your plan. And if you don't think his plan is better than your plan, you're no better than Adam and Eve in the garden. Because they said, we know better than you and we're going to eat of the fruit. And so they dethroned God out of their hearts. And you're an idolater, plain and simple. Now let's take a quick moment and, and consider some of the things Paul mentions here in the text. He says first that we need to put away lying, speaking truth to each one to his neighbor. Church, our words matter. Your words greatly affect the whole body of believers, not just your life. We saw last time that we were together that we're to be unified and, and false words hurt the whole body. When, when one of us speaks false words and, we, and somebody ties us to the rest of the church, they say, well, I don't know if I can trust those people over there. But as God's people, we're called to be truth tellers. And when we exchange the truth for a lie, we actually prove ourselves to be idolater. And we know that God hates lying and we know that Satan is a liar. He's the father of all lies. And so what we see from this example is that when we tell the truth, even when it hurts, we imitate God. And when we lie, we imitate Satan. Secondly, he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not grieve the devil or, or give the devil an opportunity. What you see here is a reflection of Psalm 4. Right? A reflection on Psalm 4. It says, be angry and do not sin. Reflect in your heart while, uh, uh, while in, on your bed and be silent. We see here that Scripture allows us or permits us to have a particular type of anger, a righteous indignation, if you, if you would a holy anger against sin. As, as Christians, we, we need to feel angry. We should be upset, especially when it comes to injustice. When we see injustice in the world, when we see people being persecuted, when we see people going through things that they, that they should not have to go through, we should be upset. We should cry out to God. We should say, Lord, I am angry and I'm upset that this is happening to people who are created in your image. And we see from Scripture, there's all kinds of examples of righteous indignation. 
But we also have to remember, Paul says, to make sure that, that we keep our anger holy. It's got to be holy, right? He gives us three reminders. He says, do not sin. Basically, don't throw a fit. Don't, be a, don't, don't throw a temper tantrum. Then he says, don't dwell on it. He says, don't let something fester. Any y'all ever let, let something just make you mad? I had that happen yesterday. I, something stupid. I'll just be honest about it. I saw something that I didn't think was right and it really wasn't that big a deal. And I, man, I was just, I was mad. I was ticked off. I'm texting on my phone. I can't believe this is going on. I was like, really? Somebody had to talk me off a ledge. And so Paul says, don't let it fester. The more you hold a grudge, the worse it's going to be, and the more you're going to get upset, and then you're going to play the Rolodex game later when somebody else wrongs you, and you're just going to be like, oh, yeah. I remember when you did this, and you did that, and you did this, and you did that. And so we should resolve it quickly, because even if it's a righteous anger, even if we should be upset, if we, if we don't settle it, if we don't let it alone, it, it can take us... It can take us into a, an unholy place. We no longer see people as created in the image of God and in need of God's forgiveness. We begin to see them as somebody that needs to be punished. And it makes us divisive and angry. Third, Paul says, don't give the devil an opportunity to seek forgiveness or, or Satan will quickly take advantage let no thief no longer steal. Instead, he is to do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. Historians tell us that traditionally in, in this time, especially in the first century, there was a lot of people that liked to steal. For, for various reasons, and, and, and we don't have time to get into those. There was lots of thievery that was going on during the first century. And, and Paul's telling the church, he's like, you need to break free of the societal norms. Just because the rest of the, the community does it doesn't mean that you should be doing it too. Not to mention it breaks the Eighth Commandment. But he says, he says, no longer let the thief steal, but to do honest work with his own hands so that, so that he has something to share with anyone in need. Church, we should see the goodness of work. And not only do we see, need to see the goodness of work, but we should remember the need for work. Some of us forget why we are working. Why do we go every day? We are to work to share with those in need. We all want a big bank account. We all want to have a nice retirement. We all want to, to do these things, but this is not the reason for work. It's not to hoard it to ourselves, but Paul tells us in Romans 12, we are to share with the saints that are in need. If you go back a couple hundred years, John Wesley, famous pastor, during one of the Great Awakenings, he's quoted as saying this. He says, work as hard as you can Make as much as you can, then give as much as you can. More recently, John Piper says there's three options for work. Steal to get, work to get for yourself, or work 
to get in order to give. This is what our philosophy should be. Maybe you're a Dave Ramsey person. Anybody a Dave Ramsey person? Dave Ramsey says, live like no one else so that you can give like no one else. We are to be a, a generous people, giving to the saints who are in need, taking care of one another. Finally, the fourth thing that, the fourth thing that we see here is no foul language should come from your mouth, but only what is good for the building up of someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by Him for the day of redemption. Paul says here to get rid of rotten, putrid, filthy talk. I'm sure you've heard it before that the the imagery and the word he uses in the original language here is, is really that of rotten vegetables. Rotten fruit. Rotten fish. So when you, when you use this foul language, it doesn't nourish you. As mama always said, garbage in, garbage out. Corrupt talk does not nourish you. It, it makes you sick. Can you imagine if you are the one that you're taking this corrupt talk and you're, you're literally trying to eat it and feed it to yourself, taking rotten fish and rotten vegetables and, and rotten fruit and you're going to put that into your mouth and into your body and you're going you're gonna to digest that stuff. That I don't think you're going to walk around and think, oh, I feel fine and feel great. No, you're going to feel awful. And so Paul says, don't, don't allow that stuff to come out. No, don't partake in it, right? Corrupt talk comes from a corrupt heart. We got to remember every careless word we will give an account for on that final day when Jesus returns. See, as Christians, we're to, to live in constant encouragement of others. If our disposition is, is cynical, if our disposition is critical and there's no warmth and there's no encouragement, there, there's no way for you to be a good church member. There's no way for you to be a good leader. There's no way for you to, uh, to, to be good in your job, in your family, in your community. And as I said, no, no way for you to be good in most of all in your church. I've seen people sit in the pews with their arms folded. They're angry and they're upset about something. And I, I wonder what, what is so bad? You, you have forgiveness of sins. Christ died for you. You should be the most joyous person. And they sit in the pews with their arms folded and their, and their chin tucked to their chest and they're just angry and they're upset and, and they, they won't even speak to the preacher when he comes by. Like, why are you here? Why, why are you here? You, you're to be joyful. You, you should be the most joyous person. Christ died for you. You have forgiveness of sins. You will spend eternity with Christ. There should be a love and a joy and a compassion that comes from your heart. People that are around you, if you're just like, oh, they're a terrible person and they're going to disappoint and they're going to disappoint. Yes, they're going to disappoint. They're fleshly human beings but you have a God who can overcome that and who has overcome that in your life. And so we're to get rid of all bitterness and replace it with kindness and forgiveness. Let all bitterness, 
anger and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another just as God also forgave you in Christ. Church, we're to put off the resentful attitudes, the festering anger, the indignant outbursts, the public shouting, the abusive language the, and, the, and hostility. And in, in place of that, in place of those things, we're to put in kindness and forgiveness. And that's to be our garments. People should look at us as Christians and say, man, that person is clothed in kindness and forgiveness and humility. That person is a shining example of Christ. And we should be known as a people for our kindness and forgiveness based upon the depth of kindness and forgiveness that we find in Christ Jesus. We know what it means to be forgiven. We know how bad we were and yet we found forgiveness in Christ. And no matter how bad another person is, that we know that they too can find forgiveness in Christ. And you say, well, well Brother Dave, shouldn't, shouldn't people pay for their actions? Shouldn't there be consequences? Absolutely, sure. There's going to be times when people break the law and they're going to have to pay for their actions. But the thing that they, that they, they ought to know is that they can still find forgiveness in Christ Jesus. We should understand that we're forgiving people because Jesus taught us to dwell on how he forgave us, how he forgave our infinite death. We should be quick to forgive others who sin against us. This morning, as I close, I just want to ask you as we get ready, have you put off the old life? Have you put on the new? Are you living in freedom? Are are you living a Christ-centered life? Are you living for Him? Have you come to a saving knowledge of Christ Jesus? Because if not, I would love to speak with you this morning about putting on a new set of clothes. Let's pray. Father God, Lord, we just thank you for the opportunity we have to worship together today, to glorify you. Father God, we thank you for for the forgiveness of sins that we have in you. Father, this new life that you've empowered us to live, Lord, you've, you've given us freedom in you to live because we have a relationship. So Father, this morning as we leave this place, Lord, we ask that you help us to live a life that glorifies you, a life that that says to the rest of the community that that we are different, that we are not like them, that we are set apart and called and we're living a holy life because of what you've done for us. We live a life that glorifies you because you died in our place so that we wouldn't have to. Father, help us to go into this community to speak to each one, to tell them of the good news of Jesus Christ and point them to the only one who can save them. It's in his name we do pray. Amen.